2: Hello, hello, my loves. Welcome to this latest episode of Holy Human. It is jam-packed with lots and lots of information. We will be diving into two topics, mostly, with internationally acclaimed life coach, Stefanos Safandos, the impact of the father wound and how we can keep our trauma from our childhood from seeping into our romantic relationships and our sexuality. Is a lot. All that and more on today's Holy Human. Stephanos? Is it? Stefanos? Did I get that yeah, right?
3: Stephanos or Steph.
2: Okay. I'm going to call you Steph because <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to mess it up. Steph, thanks so much for coming on the Holy Human Podcast. It is an honor to have you on here.
3: Well, the honors, mine. Thank you for having me.
2: I, I have followed your work on socials for a while now, and I love your presence. I love your heart. Mm. It's just so wonderful to have a man in your energy speaking on the topics you're speaking on and i I was just wondering if you can share with people and myself how you came to be a life coach and get involved in in the work that you're in
3: yeah, you know I, I often get asked that question, and what what immediately comes to mind if I have to distill it into a few words or a sentence or one word, it's pain mm. and it's it's obviously I can unpack that and and what I mean by that and what I'm referencing internally is. I grew up in an environment that didn't really facilitate the things that I yearned for. I yearned for as a child and yearned for as an adult, safety, connection, intimacy, consistency, um, significance, uh, feeling enough, like worth, worthiness essentially. Mm-hmm. And so my desire to explore my own internal state, my own feelings, you know, my own pain, my own shadows, my sadness, my anger, my rage as a, as a young man, as a teenager, uh, my despondency and my timidness as a as a child, it came from those early childhood experiences and my family unit and my family environment. And you, you know, it, it's an interesting thing. Trauma is, an, is a very it's an interesting and intricate beast. Mm-hmm. And when we experience trauma, and and I'll speak very directly for myself, but also just understanding how trauma works in the body and in social circles, we tend to suppress and repress. And we do that consciously and unconsciously because it can be so overwhelming. And so for much of my life, I didn't know why I was the way I was, and I couldn't quite change my behavior because I was in constant avoidance of my trauma. Mm -hmm. So the way that I dealt with it, to even answer your question a little more directly, was, oh, if I can help others, if I can support others on their journey, then maybe at some level I'm going to find reprieve within myself there's some element of truth to that and it helped and it supported me on my journey. But the reality was that because I wasn't really looking at my stuff directly and wasn't able to touch that in safe ways and revisit it, not retell the story, but to actually release what was trapped inside of me, I kept perpetuating the same pain, the same fear and the same unhealthy patterns in relating as well. Interesting. So- so you kind of
2: got into this work before you fully started to be able to touch upon these, yeah. these yeah. darker, or I guess that I would, yeah. I would sometimes call them darker or more, the more traumatized places within us. I find that really yeah. interesting. Cause I, I mean, that is one of the reasons why I started this podcast was like, okay, I've, and I, I have touched on, on my pain deeply. And I feel like that's, a multi-layered experience. Mm. I wanted to talk about it. I wanted to be here in my humanity because the strange thing about celebrity, I think, is our humanity gets cut off in a lot of ways. And I wanted to relate and share what I've gone through and what I've learned in order to hopefully help people on their journey. But I think you're right. I think mm. there's, there's always places that are left untouched or have yet to be unearthed. And yeah. I find that as I have these conversations through this podcast, I find that I'm having to meet myself in those deeper places more and more. So it's, once you put yourself in in it, <laughs> there's no way mm. of, of getting around it for sure.
3: Yeah, and I, I very much resonate with what you're saying and what I would add to that as well. And another layer is that the richer and deeper relationships that we engage in, the more willing we are to see ourselves in the other and see the other in ourselves, Mm, mm -hmm. those layers of, call it trauma or nuance that resides within us, it unravels itself in a more profound way and we're able to touch greater depths within ourselves. Mm -hmm. I've found that in in my relationships, the more willing I am to go to those places that are are quite uncomfortable, that – that provoked the sense of will they reject me will they abandon me will they will they humiliate me will i be humiliated rather through what they think of me or how they see me but can i still be in my truth and the more i go to those places and then the more i am met so when that that sense of vulnerability or truth that rawness is met and reciprocated with love and understanding and compassion and empathy that's when even more profound layers are revealed and more growth occurs. and that's been so true in my own life, oh my
2: gosh, absolutely and it's it's interesting you say that because it is i've I've gone through so much and I think that people can relate to this of i'm I don't trust the other person to meet me there because I wasn't met in my early childhood and so yeah. I've had to I've had to stop projecting my early childhood onto. Those around me in order to give them a chance to meet me there. And yeah. the, the thing that I've learned, you know, is can I, how deeply vulnerable can I be without abandoning myself? Because ultimately, yeah. that's what we're, I, I feel ultimately that's what we're deeply worried about is that we're, we are going to not meet ourselves there it's not really about the other.
3: (laughs) Yeah, of course. And, and, and very true. And it is because we're so, we're so in our bodies, we're so in our being, it's all about the the self-preservation and self-protection at some Mm. level, especially at a nervous system level. Right. Something that I, that I say to my clients often is ensure you are not projecting you know, your partner, your husband is not your mother or your father. Your wife or your partner is not your mother or your father. I honestly, just you have to remind yourself that because there's so much unconscious projection that's taking place. Yes. Where we, when when that when our partners do something that reminds our nervous system of something that happened 30 years ago, there's there's our body just gets online and says that's the same. Th- things. They're the same things that happened 25, 30 years ago. We need to protect ourselves in the same way we did then. And all of a sudden you're treating that person as if they're your mother or they're your father or the hurt that you experienced from a bully when you were younger. Mm -hmm. And we have to remind ourselves. And that's where You know, we start really working with trauma and learning how to regulate our nervous systems and learning how to speak to ourselves and learning how to communicate with others and be in each other's presence and set healthy boundaries and all those things. That's when we start to really undo the past so that we don't keep coming from the past and we can come from that new version of self that is in greater alignment with who we truly want to be. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Absolutely. Well, you started to talk about the mother and the father. We, uh, on the last season, we took a deep dive into the mother wound with Bethany Webster. And That's I had, amazing. she is. And uh, it was so eye opening, that whole conversation. And we had so many listeners that wanted, they were like, is there a father wound? And what does that look like? Can you address that? And so when I started to dig into who talks about the father wound, there's not a lot of people, by the way, who actually discuss this topic. And I thought that you talked about this in depth um, and, and so beautifully that I, that's one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on was discuss the father wound. So let's just start out with how, how do you describe the father wound? What is that exactly? How would you define it?
3: Yeah. So be, before I even define it, something that I, I want to speak to, I think that's important about the, the, the father wound is we have this this image of the father, and so we're, we're children. We're, we're small, like we're we're literally quite small compared to these adults in the world that are a lot bigger than us. And that masculine presence, that father, for a little girl represents or represents what my relationship to men can be. This is at a you know at the beginning stage. It's very visceral. It's very feeling based. It's kinesthetic. As we get older, we start to visualize and verbalize and understand this relationship. For little boys, it's more about what is the type of man that I can be? Mm-hmm. And so if there's a disconnect in that father-child relationship, if there's abandonment, if there's rejection, if there's unavailability, if there's violence, if if that source of love and protection is, is also the source of terror for you, it becomes very confusing in our nervous system, it becomes very confusing the way that we attach. And so... That father wound, and and to clarify, I think this is an important point as well, there's no formal uh, psychological diagnosis around the mother wound and the father wound. Um, However, the the mother wound and the father wound is something that we refer to to really understand developmentally how we've formed our Mm self-identity and how we end up. In in a a whole from a whole perspective, how we end up relating to our intimate partners, how we relate to intimacy itself, how we relate to self worth, and how we relate to protecting ourselves in relationship, because we all do that. We all have layers of protection. Some are more extreme than others. For me, it was it was a great deal of emotional abuse. I would push my partners away in the past by being hyper-defensive, by being hyper-aggressive, by attempting to be in control because why? As a child, I was so out of control and with specifically my father. He was very violent. He was aberrant. He was unpredictable. He was very moody. There was a great deal of uncertainty and unavailability. So I didn't have structure and stability. I didn't feel stable within my own nervous system, within my own mind. And so when we're talking about the father, when we're talking about – structure stability we're talking about that masculine presence that is safety that we can trust that we can lean into that we can be ourselves and be met for who we are and as we are without judgment when we miss that when we don't have that stability in our lives the cascade effects as adults is (laughs) immense
2: yeah, I can relate to that completely. I grew up mm-hmm. my dad was really angry. There was a lot of anger in the house. Mm-hmm. And yep. um he also loved me deeply. And I, I think confusing there's probably vibe. a lot. Yeah, a, a very confusing. Um, you know, someone who was constantly a part of my life and helping me sing and like, you know, we connected through through music was also, you know, very um very angry and uh very unapproachable at times and I've I've noticed it's really interesting around three o'clock in the afternoon, three, three thirty. Um, this is something I've started to recognize. Um, I'll start to get really, really anxious. And I mm. I'm like, why Why is this happening at the same time every day? And it was okay. That was when I got picked up from school. It's when I started coming home, you know, coming home to the house that then he was going to come into by five o'clock. And I didn't know what I was going to get. And I can totally relate that my nervous system is still, even though I'm completely safe in my home, I have a wonderful husband and that I have that sense of safety. My nervous system is still, as much as I've worked through so many pieces of it, it's still stuck back in that time of, of not quite knowing what I was going to get with my father.
3: Yeah. And that, that trauma by association is your body telling you that there's something that's unresolved within you because if that's, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're, and, and the interesting thing is you may say, but I never had this before. It's just come on. And there are a few, there could be a few reasons for that. It could be because your body and your being, your entire mind body complex is actually ready to deal with that and close the loop on that trauma. Right. It could be because you've done deeper spiritual exploration and it's unearthing some old stuff and it's presenting itself in this way. And it is a beautiful opportunity to actually work through the core wounds of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's also really challenging. And yeah. very painful. like. If just, and and what do we do when something's really challenging and really painful? Now, yes, we sometimes can meet it. We can meet that pain and that challenge where where it's at. But more often than not, we check out. It's like, well, that's too difficult. I'm, I'm going to check out. I'm going to go back to what I, I'm going to work a lot. I'm going to focus on more pleasure in my body. It could be eating, could be drugs, could be alcohol. It could be distractions. It could be adrenaline. It could be shopping. It could be TV, it could, whatever it is that puts more pleasure in our body that, that compensates for the big pain that we're attempting to avoid. The thing that we miss though, and this is what I missed for so many years in my own life was I didn't quote unquote, no. And I didn't, I didn't, quite get that if i simply lean into this thing that's presenting itself Mm -hmm. i don't even have to pursue it or chase it that's another conversation we can come to that but Mm -hmm. this thing that's presenting itself this discomfort in my body this thing that feels a little quote-unquote abnormal out of out of sync for me if i sit with it if i address it if i move it through my body if i share it with a coach a therapist etc if i if i start to be in deeper communion with it what would happen and what ended up happening when I, when I surrendered to all of that and I said, I have to face my stuff because I'm, I'm, I'm wreaking havoc on every relationship that I'm in, mm-hmm. including myself. I'm in great avoidance. I'm in, you know, and this is years ago, I'm in massive debt. Nothing is really working in my life and I'm blaming everything and everyone but me. I'm not looking at me. I'm not taking responsibility. And when I did, and this is the paradox, right, the more we lean into it, the faster we move through it that and that that has been so true for me and so true for the thousands of clients that I've worked with thousands upon thousands that's the truth
2: yeah it's it's interesting cuz when we're in that situation where it's super super uncomfortable yeah. and you want to reach for you want to reach for something whether it's the remote or the drink or the cigarette or mm. whatever it is yeah how do we begin to find Okay, so that that discomfort is there, but we're looking for pleasure. Mm. So how do we begin mm. to find the pleasure from the inside, even with that discomfort yeah. that's there? Like how yeah. how can we hold both of those things? And how do we start to, to summon the pleasure from the inside out?
3: Yeah. We have to learn to be with the pain. That, and so that's, we can't, that's,
2: <laughs> <we're>, I'm like, <laughs> wanna, I want to get to the pleasure part. I just want to, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Yes. You do have to learn to be with pain. Yeah. yeah.
3: And that means feeling it. Yeah. But here's the thing, right? Like it's easy for me to say, just feel it. And, I, and I'm not coming from a place where I haven't experienced, you know, immense trauma and chronic and acute trauma and so mm. forth. And I'm coming from a place that I've, I've, I've worked through that and I continue to work through that. It's not, this is not a It's Unless I'm enlightened, which I don't believe I am, I'm going to continue to work through that stuff and the layers that come up, right, because of the work that we do previously that prepares us for the present moment in the now. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing is we learn to sit with the pain in relationship, not only in relationship to that thing that's within us, but in relationship external to us. And so one of the, the greatest things that we can do for our nervous systems and for our healing is to be in the presence of safety. And and what that tangibly looks like is being in the presence of people that see you through and beyond your pain, with no judgment and with compassion. And there's a softness to them. That through our neuroception of being in the world, the uh, the the unconscious ways in which our nervous systems assess our environment, we feel that this person is safe. They're not judging me. They're not going to criticise me. Because we're talking about the father wound. We're talking about the, you know, the father wound referring to absenteeism, emotionally or physically, which can be interpreted as rejection. We're talking about the father wound being that critical, negative, even abusive character. And and it's that that impacts our sense of self-worth. And so when we're talking about being with the pain, one of the greatest things that we can do for ourselves is seek to be in the presence of people that will nurture our pain. They won't appease us. Mm-hmm. They won't be complacent with us and allow us to be in this negative perpetual state of being, but they can hold us without this – is, this, is, this is the interesting thing – without their own pain being triggered because mm. they've done their internal work. Here's an interesting thing. right? Whenever you, when you're in business circles or you're in athletic circles – You'll often hear a phrase very similar to this, you know, surround yourself with people that are better than you. Like if you want to make a million dollars, go speak to someone that's made a million dollars. If you want to make hundred million dollars this year, then get a coach that knows how to do that. If you want to lose weight, then be with a coach who is, has gone down that path, who is, understands a body who shows and demonstrates that themselves. It's the same in healing. Surround yourself with people that have walked that path that you want to walk because that confidence, because that's the thing. We lack the confidence to go into the pain. So when we are surrounded with people that have been there and we feel that, we don't just know it, but we feel it, that gives us confidence and that gives us an inspiration to move into the pain. And we move into the pain, we equilibrate it. And there are methods to do that, of course, and mm-hmm. it happens over a period of time. And then the, the conversation of pleasure naturally occurs. It's not something that needs to be forced because we're not in avoidance. We're not numbing. Mm. That's that's the beauty of sitting with our stuff in safe spaces.
2: Well, I guess when you're numb the pain, you also numb the pleasure. So you're just, yeah, yeah you can't that's have one without other. the other. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Yeah. You say, you know, people that can hold your pain without it triggering theirs. I think for a lot of us, I know for myself, in my family, like I'm the first mm. generation. I'm an only child, um, but the first generation that is taking care of their own pain. And I think a lot of people can feel very lonely in this journey because they are the yeah, first. And it's in our our family circles, in our closest circles, sometimes you are the only one. So it's like, where do I start to find those others? You know, whether it's, you know, some people don't have the money to hire a coach or a therapist. It's like, yeah. okay, well, where do I start? Where do I either start to find those communities of people that can hold me and or can you create that for yourself too? Like how do we create safety Mm -hmm. when there's when we don't have another to hold us in that space?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Firstly you're a generational pattern breaker. So congratulations. Hey,
2: I know, right? (laughs) Conventions. It's
3: (laughs) It's a beautiful thing. Yes. It's a beautiful thing for the people that you come into contact with, including your family. Mm -hmm. Right. Because you're not going to pass that down to your children.
2: Yeah, and I've that was one of my key reasons. You know, I'm, I'll be forty mm-hmm. in August, and I've mm-hmm. I've never been gung ho about having kids of my own because that mm-hmm. was that was one of the things I was like, I'm not past I can't pass this down. I'm not doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I may I don't know if kids of my own. I have two stepsons that I've been so yeah. fortunate to be a part of their lives, but um, I don't know if that's ever a part of my life, and that's okay. But I was really adamant about like. I can't. I can't pass this down. It has to. It has to end with me.
3: Yeah, and I can't. And I can't pass it down. I can't pass it on because every interaction that we have, if we're coming from that pain, mm-hmm. or we're coming from a place of wanting and needing to avoid that pain, we're wearing masks in every interaction we have that take away from the true essence of who we are. Yeah. Now, what that does, and we spoke about neuroception earlier around, and, and, and to get a little, just very briefly technical, it's just, it's just. Our nervous system through our enteric system, you're just picking up on vibes in the environment, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's an assessment that we developed over millions of years of evolution. And so if that person is picking up on you wearing masks, that will trigger them to wear masks. And now mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're having inauthentic conversations and there feels like something's missing because we're far more intuitive, we're far more connected than what we give ourselves credit for. <laughs> yeah, we can't, can't tap into it because of the, the clutter. That exists in our lives, right? Mentally, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, sexually, mm-hmm. and so now we've got billions of people having inauthentic interactions and almost triggering traumatic interactions, yeah, which perpetuates more of that. And I want to I want to honour the question that you asked around: well, how do we do that? How do we create safe space? Do we create safe spaces? Do we do we seek them? What do we do? I think it's both, and okay. And I think what we do as a starting point. Is we at some level we have to take self-responsibility. We have to, we have to be responsible for how we see ourselves and how we see the world and and the life that we want to live. And so what feels safe enough, here's the here's the key for me. It's enough. It's not safe, it's enough. It's because it's, it's the same thing, I'll go to the gym when I lose 10 pounds. Right, right, right.
2: And we'll be right back with more Steph Safondos right after this quick break.
4: Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com.
2: Welcome back, my loves. We were just talking with Steph Safondos about how we can start taking responsibility for the way that we view ourselves and our relationships.
3: So can you, as an individual, can we as individuals make a commitment to ourselves and say, I'm going to share something with someone. I'm going to test the waters that I wouldn't normally share. And if it gets quote unquote rejected, which is a whole other conversation around rejection. And mm-hmm. if that even actually exists, but we can get into that later. But And if I get humiliated, rejection, rejected, abandoned, whatever my core wound is, you know, sense of loss, whatever comes from that interaction, can I be okay with it? Because what I've shared isn't too deep or isn't too much of a risk. Mm-hmm. Now, When we look at that and having that conversation, that requires self-assessment and self-assessment leads to Mm self-awareness. And so we have to be active and commit to ourselves, even if it's 10, 15 minutes a day to assess where we're at internally, to have those inner dialogues with each other, you know, inner child work, internal family systems, Mm -hmm. um, you know, somatic work, trauma release work, even just cognitive behavioral therapies can can all support and assist, right? It's a combination of all these tools and techniques that we use, but can we feel safe enough to begin to share? And then when we get feedback that 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 thing that we shared wasn't rejected, next time we can do a little more. In trauma, it's called expanding our window of tolerance. Mm. It's edging, right? And not edging in the in the sexual sense, it's edging in the trauma, in 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 we're coming close to the edges of what's really uncomfortable. We're not diving into the, the pool that is too deep, we're still in the shallows, but it's uncomfortable. And the more we can do that, the more we expand that window of tolerance, mm-hmm. the more we can share ourselves more, uh, with, with greater clarity and more, more vulnerability, the, the easier we will notice groups in our environment that we can then seek that are in greater alignment with us because we're creating that in our reality.
2: Hmm. Yeah. I mean, you can't, that whole saying of, you know, people can only meet you as deeply as they've met themselves. And it's like, yeah. you know, how can you, you have to be able to be honest and open with your own self in order to, to be able to share. Because I know mm. that was a big thing for me was, what am I hiding from myself? <laughs> like you can't, you can't unfold, mm. you know, and be, be vulnerable with someone unless you can start to do that with yourself. And that's been the key that, you know, that's where the journey begins. Right. I mean, that's what I hear you saying. And it's, it's definitely, like I said, there's, there's layers to, you know, I, I know I, we all still lie to ourselves, I think in certain ways, there's always the shadow of where am I truly not being honest with myself. And um, I had a conversation with a friend the other night of, you know, is there truly a relationship where you are, completely open with one another. And for me, I was like, I don't, I don't know if that's, if there ever is, that was just from my point of view, because I, I feel like there's still things I don't know about myself, but as soon as I start to learn and open up that piece of myself to myself and I start to process it, I, I Mm. begin to want to share that with my husband as soon as I understand Mm. that piece of me.
3: Mm. So yeah, as soon as you're in deeper communion with it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Something that came to me when you, when you asked, and I I agree with you, I, I, you know, we're constantly evolving moment to moment, day by day, week to week, month to month, uh, year to year, we're, we're unraveling more of ourselves. We're exposing more of ourselves to ourselves and to the world. Question I have, and it's a question for you while we're here having conversation is, is you ask the question, you know, can, can I share all of myself? I don't know all of myself. What Mm -hmm. if we ask the question and even if you did know all of yourself, which we we probably never "quote unquote" will. <laughs> right. But even if you did, do we need to share all of ourselves with yeah, others?
2: Yeah, no, I I I agree. Um, and this is interesting from for me on, and you're you're also in the public eye, so you're your and you're sharing tons of yourself and your <laughs> own relationship. Yeah. So mm. I agree. Do we? Um, I think it for me it it really is it's about what feels right in the moment. I feel like it's what, how I, it's like how can I connect with the person in front of me? And also, you know, I guess for me, I'm always wanting to share from my heart and from a place that that builds connection that also makes the person in front of me feel welcome and 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 mm. welcome to be all of who they are. And I think that's, for me, it's like a, it's a moment to moment thing. And like you're saying, do I feel safe in this experience? And I'm also sharing, when you're sharing on a world stage and you, for me, like my deep parts of myself inform my creativity, they inform my writing. And it's Mm. sometimes the most uncomfortable things that I can't speak about, I can sing about. So all of a sudden Mm. the places that are really, really tender or scary for me become songs. And then am I finally able to actually have those conversations? So for, yeah. for me, I know it's, it's definitely multi layered when it comes to what and how and where and who I share it with. Um, but I think it's a constantly evolving thing. And I, I do think we need to keep pieces of us for us, I think that's really important.
3: I think there's value in that. I think there's deep growth in that. I think from that place, we're able to actually give more of ourselves in meaningful ways to others that really need it by, by saving something sacred for ourselves. Mm. And, the, and again, the paradox and the universal joke, you know, depending on what you, you know what ethos or philosophy you, you adhere to is the universal joke is there's such a deep interconnectedness that we're all one in the same anyway. Right. But we don't realize that because we're under this illusion of such deep separation mm-hmm. and and to some extent that exists in our reality because of the reality that we choose to live in and that separation causes fear because there's unknown and uncertainty in the separation and so we what I've seen in the world is that we remain then closed like we keep our cards really close to our chest and we don't reveal who we truly are and, and i come back to what i said earlier around if we're doing that others pick up on that unconsciously and then they begin to do that as well mm-hmm. and so we're, we're in this these relational dynamics that just aren't real because we're unwilling and or unable to really just look at ourselves and who we are and who we want to be in the world there's fear with making a declaration and making a statement of i want to be this or I want to be free of this, or I choose to be living in this way. Because what if it doesn't happen? Especially if we were promised so much when we were younger. Oh, mm. You know, I, I promise I'll be home at 6 p.m. and your dad just keeps coming home at 10 p.m. or whatever it may be, right? And we we, we, li- we have lived a life of broken promises. And we've made that mean that we're not enough or we're insignificant or we're less than. Then making bold statements or declarations around how we want to live is very challenging. And so there's so many nuances that are underneath that. On the surface, it looks like, just say you want to live this life. It's simple, but it's actually not.
2: <laughs> Man, what you just said hit home with me because I know I have lived my life, a lot of my life, um, in avoidance of disappointment. Mm. And that's exhausting and it's it's sad. It's it's There's a lot of grief I know around that for me because mm. – not only of the disappointments that have happened in my life, but the avoidance of it. It's like all the dreams and all the desires and things that I'm not living out or haven't lived out because of wanting to dance around the fear of disappointment. And then under that, like you're saying, is the self-worth issue of I'm not worthy of my desires. And um, Mm. I think all of us can relate to that. I've said so many times, I feel like self-worth is like is the core issue (laughs) we're all living with it's like the basis of everything that gets built you know upon it when it comes to the father wound like how do we know maybe the the avoidance of disappointment how do we know like when this is showing up in our lives like how how does that look
3: yeah yeah so i'll I'll give you some um, and this may relate to you. This may relate to some of the audience, like some of these char- characteristics or or uh, you know levels of experience may relate. They may all relate. they may you know only some of them, but let me let me go through a few. So please, so as an adult, you may experience um, oppressive, controlling, subjugating, and aggressive behavior. That may be you in the world towards others, especially when you feel threatened or when you feel someone's making you wrong. Or they're telling you that you could be doing something better. The way that we interpret that is all about coming back to what you said about low self-worth and low self-esteem, and then we transmute that into control and oppression and, and anger and rage, um, hyper-competition, sort of excessive competition to be the best to prove oneself right mm-hmm. to seek that validation at any cost and this can happen both in, in men and women in all adults it's not just this is not just for men by the way and be really clear on that these are expressive states of being um struggle to have healthy friendships mm-hmm. because it's a, it's a trust issue again right there's so much trust that's vested in the father and if we cannot trust ourselves and others we will struggle to create intimacy in our friendships Um, very little mastery over our sexuality. And so that can look differently in men and women, Mm. but essentially it could be um, either a promiscuity that takes place and a hyper hyper sense of arousal, like excessive reliance and addiction to pornography or having sex or validation through intimacy. In other words, how someone, you know, codependence, Mm -hmm. how someone sees us, like we really need someone to see us in a particular way for us to feel okay about ourselves at a bare minimum Mm -hmm. and that can really show up in sexuality and it can also not just show up in hypersexuality it can show up in being withdrawn from our sexual expression as well now sexual expression isn't just the act of sex it's about our personalities and how confident we are in our bodies and how confident we are in our beings and how we move through space and time not only in relationship but in accordance with what we value most as well Mm-hmm. um you know i've touched on the the, the validation but I'll, I'll elaborate on that through through accomplishment and through status and that mm-hmm. can show up differently so for you know if we use a conventional example could be in the business world. It's about how quickly can I climb the corporate ladder? In, you know, in a more sexual, intimate example, it could be how many people can I sleep with or how can I attach myself to a high-status person and be in intimate relationship with them so that I'm then seen as a high-status person as well, right? Right. Um, other ways that you can potentially tell you've got the father wound or, you you know, you're in that unresolved wounding is you feel a sense of lostness within yourself. So you, you feel lost. You don't feel whole, you feel fractured and broken. Mm-hmm. So again, you don't feel enough. So then we need to compensate for that. So we seek the validation. We seek feeling better about ourselves. And that pleasure can come in so many different ways. We may lack drive, inspiration, vision, and purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, that can be another indication that there's a there's a disconnection there because we never got that, again, that structure. We never got that from our father. Maybe that father was very driven in his own hyper-selfish ways or self-absorbed ways but never implemented that or that ethos into the family dynamic. Um, if you're purely driven by a goal orientation, win at all costs attitude, that can, that can be part of the father wound. Hmm. Um, here's an interesting one, and I'll share a personal story here on this as well. Yeah. The unconscious seeking of father's approval and acceptance Yes. And I, I'll share something with you, Leanne, On this, I still do this. I will. I will have like a win in my life, whatever the win is, right? And I'm just. I'm just thinking of my daughter, so am Some tears are coming because Aww. I'm a new father. But I will say in my head, I will say this. I say, if only Baba could see this. Baba is the Greek word for dad, right? Mm-hmm. And he's still alive, by the way. He just lives in Greece. So you know, and I'm and and he's not in my life at the moment because he he's physical distance, right? But we we that talk. Is. Um, and there's been a lot of reconciliation that's had to take place, but there's still past me like if I if I do something really cool in business, it's like, oh, if if my if, if Baba could see this now, you know, and I'd say it in Greek, because so I usually I speak Greek and I speak when I think of my dad, I speak Greek, <laughs> even when I'm talking to myself. But it's that, like it still exists. And even though I've done a lot of work, mm-hmm. and I have done a lot of work in this area. You know, I listen <laughs> something funny. <laughs> you know that song, um, The Living Years, Mike and the Mechanics.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh God, that song kills me. Oh my God, I can't
3: listen to it. Every (laughs) time, every time. Guaranteed every time. And and that there, you want to talk about father wound?
2: Yeah, that's it. That is a
3: beautiful example in music. Of the yes. fatherhood.
2: Oh my gosh! Right. Yes, I love it. <laughs> I, yeah. I
3: mean, a couple more the top of my head, but there's the the self-loathing, the self-hate, the self-destructive behaviours, mm-hmm. and you know this is the this is the you know the enough is never enough attitude. But let me go let me go back to the self-loathing, self-destructive behaviours. This is very prominent in men and adolescent boys wanting to prove to their father that they're enough. Mm-hmm. Females will do that; tend to do that a little differently, and it, and it tends to not always, but tends to come through either in hypermasculine behavior in in the corporate world, or it will come through hyper promiscuity. And again, men do this as well. They just do it in different ways. But for men, it's more the adrenaline. It's more how far can I push my edges? How can I do the really difficult thing or the really dangerous thing or the really intense or extreme thing or the thing that makes me the most money because it's about resource gathering and that's one of the ways that we identify in the world as as, as masculine embodied men right. um, to get my father's attention. Mm. And so there, there are some of the ways, and I'm sure there are more, but there are some of the ways that you can, you know, tell if you have some disconnection with the with the father there and that relationship yeah. needs to be mended. I was like, check, check,
2: check, check. <laughs> I've got a few checks too. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, you know, my dad my dad and I have had a very fractured relationship and I don't talk to him very often. I love him mm. and I, I have done enough work on myself to have – Empathy and understanding of where and why, where it came from, why why he sure. made some of the choices that he made. Um, but it is still, you know, there, there's not a lot of a lot of reconciliation that has that has gone on in that relationship. You know, as if people are estranged from their father, or you know, they maybe their fathers passed away. I mean, do you do you recommend that those conversations actually happen with? with the father to, to reconcile, Mm. or is there, are there other ways to go about starting to heal this Mm. relationship or fracture within ourselves?
3: Yeah. Yeah. That perceived fracture within ourselves, because ultimately our true essence is wholeness. I believe that at least. Yes. Agreed. But, um, look, you know, healing, forgiveness, uh, all the things that we strive for, it's an inside job ultimately. So the answer to your question, the very direct answer to your question is yes and no. Okay. And more often than not, it's a no. And I'll be really transparent with you too. Like I've had very direct conversations with my father saying, Hey, do you remember doing this, 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 and this? <laughs> and he's like, no, I never did that. I was a great father. Yeah.
2: I, mine, mine too. <laughs> my mother too. Like, I mean, they'll be, they'll deny, deny, deny. And I get yeah. it. I understand why, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah.
3: No, no, no. You, but you're right. Like we understand why as adults, Yes, but, but as children, this is where inner child work is so. As children, we don't, and nor should we get the why. It's not. It's not. It's not our our responsibility to understand why. It, it's it's for us to feel safe. And so our our role as adults uh, reparenting ourselves, and this is where this is where is an inside job, is is to help that that part of us. And I'm not talking about fracture and fragmentation here we have going to be very careful with that language to, to the to the point where we know we're not referring to a a cognitive disorder or or, or a a, um, a diagnosable mental illness or anything like that. We're talking about parts that we're made of, like the way that we see the world is through different parts. So you show up a little differently to your husband's or how you may show up to a friend. And it's not you being inauthentic. It's just you, different parts of you will come out in different relationships and different environments. That's, that's what we're made of us. We see the world in different, in compartmentalized ways. Yeah. And so it's working with the parts of us that are really hurt. And so it, it's really an inside job. And, you know, there are tools and techniques. There are, there's inner child work, there's somatic work, there's um uh gestalt style therapy. There's, there's, you know, journal prompts and, and, and letter writing and, cathartic releases that can take place there's so many different avenues that we can go down right in terms of the modalities and the tools that we use right. to start healing that and repairing that relationship and part of it is understanding and part of it is releasing and feeling what was unfelt because i, I think like yourself is it was, it was violence it was abuse it was volatility right and so what did your little girl your little girl meaning you what did she do in those times did she freeze mm-hmm. Did she want to flee and, and flight? We've got to get to, to what was happening in the nervous system because even if you were fighting or in flight, right, where you're taking more action, that's great. And there's some level of self-preservation protection that's taking place that's more active so you feel more empowered as opposed to just freezing. Right. But there's also emotions that were unexpressed, And so we've got to get to those unexpressed emotions and those unexpressed bodily somatic movements which are stored in our bodies at a cellular level Mm -hmm. and get them moving again. And again, the foundation of that is creating a safe environment for that to happen. So when all of that happens and it takes – it's a process. It happens Mm -hmm. over time with intention and attention and care. And as that happens, your relationship, the way you see your father, your mother, you, me, anyone else that's listening to this – It shifts and changes. And we are going to shift into a very brief break right here, but we'll
2: be
4: right back. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com.
2: Welcome back, my friends. Steph and I were just discussing the significant shift that can occur when we cultivate a safe foundation within ourselves to process childhood trauma.
3: And because of that, remember we spoke to about neuroception earlier, right? Mm -hmm. Because we are now on all these different levels, including subtle levels and layers, are reacting or rather responding differently to our parents, they actually respond differently to us. So they don't perpetuate the old parental dynamics that they once did as well because mm-hmm. we don't need to be in that dynamic anymore because you're not living from that little that seven-year-old girl that was terrified.
0: Right.
3: You're now living from an empowered place where she feels safe. Bang. That's the money right yeah, there.
2: That is so true. And it's interesting because I I've noticed I'll oscillate – Back and forth between both of those. There are some days my mom and dad could call me and I'd be like, I love you and all is well. And I can, you know, I can make those choices Mm. from the adult space. And then there's other times where I can't even pick up the phone because I'm frozen in the trigger Mm. of just seeing their name. It just depends on the day. And I think that's natural for so many of us who've been through... You know trauma with our parents for sure.
3: Oh yeah, very very much so, and it's also beautiful. You know, in those moments, Leanne, if I if I may, um, may I make a suggestion? Yeah, please. Yeah, in those moments, you know, it's not about picking up the phone. You got you got you've got to be self honouring, right? Whatever that looks yes. like for you. But in those moments, is taking advantage of that that somatic that bodily thing sensation that's coming up and and working with that and mm. and even if it's putting a hand on your chest and a hand on your belly on your on your nurturance canal which activates your vagus nerve that tells your body that hey we're we're safe here right like even skin to skin ideally under the under the shirt yeah that's one of skin my favorite to skin. things yeah some yeah absolutely some slow breathing And asking that part, literally in your own mind or even out loud, what do you need right now? And it may need to run and walk. It may need to drink a glass of water. Your body knows. It may need to scream into a pillow. It may need to sob. But if you can do more of that in, in again, the safety and confines of your own space, that starts to shift. And, And what happens is less and less do you have that old reaction of freezing when you see their names on your cell phone. I mean, I had that for years with my brother or on an unknown number, because my brother went through many years of of being a drug addict and the way that impacted our family and getting calls from police and drug rehabilitation centers and all the all the things. And you know, or, or from my mum and 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 even when I saw my mum's name, for right. years I would be like that because okay, what needs to happen now? What do I need to do? What action do I need to take? Like who do I need to beat up? Like what needs to happen? Right. You know, <laughs> my yeah, younger yeah. brother. I'm sure. He's gone through all of that now. We're best of friends and I miss him immensely. Mm. He went on his journey. He's been drug free for over a decade. Um, And he's a phenomenal human being. He's got three beautiful children. I mean, he's just an amazing father. I aspire to him. He's my younger brother. I look to him to to be a father. You know, he's just so good Um, in all different ways. I get goosebumps talking about it. I love it. And I get what you're saying around the freezing piece. It's intense
2: it is intense and i love that you just said something that clicked for me is the self-honoring piece um when it comes yeah. to our parents especially when we've gone through codependency and we are we've always put and had to as children put other people's emotions and feelings ahead of ours in order to feel safe we don't self-honor and and i for me i you know when i When I don't answer their phone call, like the guilt that can come up around that because I, because I self-honored, because I didn't. And it's like, okay, I know I'm in avoidance right now. And I also know within that avoidance, I'm also taking care of myself because there's a piece of me that I know is really triggered right now. And it, and it's, I there's a for me I've had to recognize that both can exist. I'm in avoidance and I'm also taking mm. care of myself and I don't have to feel guilty as a, an adult woman about saying no not right now to my parents and I think when you when you deal with you know the mother and the father and you know still as adults those we feel we can feel such guilt around
4: mm.
2: placing ourselves you know, before our parents, especially if we've grown up in that kind of situation. So I love that you just said self-honoring is such a key piece to our own healing and recognizing that it it is okay to say no and to set boundaries and take care of ourselves around our parents.
3: It's necessary. Yeah, it is. Because remember that little one didn't have that voice. That little one didn't have the authority that you do as an adult Mm -hmm. they didn't have the opportunity to say no or stop, Mm. especially in more extreme cases. It's not even more extreme cases, but, you know, in cases of sexual abuse or physical abuse, any any invasion on that body. As little children, we didn't have that voice. We didn't have that capacity. Mm -hmm. And so saying no is so important. And, And honestly, the more we say no when it's needed, the more we create space for authentic yeses to come into our lives mm-hmm. and what we want to say yes to, the relationships that we want to say yes to, the way we want to be treated. But, again, this is a muscle. This, this muscle of confidence needs to be built over time. And, the, again, the more we're practised in saying no and not feeling the guilt the guilt and shame because that guilt and shame is – and we come, let's come back full circle for a moment around you know looking up to the father because, again – you know, it's not just what the father can be or what the, what kind of man can I be or a little girl looking up to the father and saying, you know, what can a man be in my life? We're talking about the deifying of our parents. Or well, we do that. We deify our parents. We see them as gods because we're so helpless and hopeless as children. And there's that projection and perception there. And it's a hard fall from grace. Because a we're human, but b especially if we're unhealthy parents or we we have unresolved within ourselves, mm-hmm. and so that father is also the the you know the big sky father is yes. what, what's the ultimate the, the ultimate symbolism of healthy masculinity and and protection all those things that come under that banner, mm-hmm. and so yeah. when we when we learn to be with those parts of ourselves that have been hurt and we learn to not feel that, or choose not to feel the guilt, the repetitive guilt, will then make more self-honoring choices that place us in a position to simply be, in the most simplest language, be better humans. That's yeah. it.
2: I love that. I want to I now kind of go into a little bit of a different topic because I, you mentioned, though, it ties into this, you mentioned sex and sexuality. You have a book mm. coming out in September. Can you tell us what that title is and a little bit about
3: it? Yeah, of course. So the title is Tuned In and Turned On Bringing a Sacred Connection and Sacred Sexuality into Intimacy. And the book essentially is about that. It is about sacred intimacy. It is about connection in relationship with self and with others. And it's about clearing the clutter of our past. It's about doing our inner work. It's about healing our past traumas so that we don't continue to bring. Those traumas into our sexuality, into our intimacy, into our adult relationships, so that we can start to live fuller, more whole lives and not come from a sense of fracture because we haven't dealt with the stuff that's really hurt us that we keep compressing and avoiding and numbing.
2: Which I love this so much. I cannot wait to read your book because, you. you know, I'll be 40, like I said, in August, and sex is. I think for a lot of adults, I know I'm not the only one, like sex and money obviously are two hot topics that it's difficult to to talk about. And I'm finally, like finally, I think starting to be able to have these conversations consciously um, because there's so much shame around, there's so Mm -hmm. much shame around sex. I mean, as you talk about it being, you know, connected to the father wound, for me, I have been very connected to my sexuality and I've been disconnected at the same time. It's like Mm. this push pull and Mm. to not be able to have these conversations. I mean, to bring consciousness to it, we first have to have these conversations. So how do you suggest as, you know, I mean, I think there's so much even shame around not being able to have the conversation as an adult. So it's like layer on layer of top of shame. Mm. How do we begin to approach this topic um, consciously and with care and mm-hmm. grace.
3: Yeah, we, we live, you're, you're right, we live in quite a repressed society in, 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 in so many different ways, in, in quite a hypocritical society. And, and to me, hypocrisy is a natural part of progression and growth, actually. It's actually a healthy part of progression and growth. I think the quote-unquote mistake that we make as a humanity is we, we remain in hypocrisy too long without actually moving beyond it and we never really learn and grow. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, the, the hypocrisy True. piece is – there's an old idea or an old version of self and then there's a new version of self that is an idea and we're moving towards a new version of self but the old version likes to be in familiar patterns because Mm -hmm. it's safe and comfortable and so there's this tug of war and then it gets a little too difficult and we go, "Ah, we'll just go back to the old ways. we just stay in the old ways, right? (laughs) So when it comes to sexuality, it begins with us again because what often happens and what I've found in my own life, I, I couldn't actually simply be in conversation with myself around what my sexual desires were. Mm-hmm. because I had so much shame and guilt around it. Mm-hmm. I couldn't just be honest with myself. I couldn't even just get a piece of paper and write down, what am I sexually curious about? What are some of my sexual fantasies, my sexual dreams? Because I was so judgmental. And so we can we can have the conversation around, you know, what does it look like to have a conversation around sexuality with someone else? But the reality is, when we, again, we're, we're layers, right? We're peeling back those layers. There is so much self-judgment that we have. We can't have those conversations with ourselves, let alone someone else. So right. we have to address the judgment. We, mm-hmm. we need to address the judgment that we have about all areas of our lives, including our sexual expression, including our self our perception of our self-image. Do I like my hands? Do I like my genitals? Do I like my feet? Do I like the way my body looks? Do I like the way my body moves? Like There are so many questions that we avoid or rather Uh, truths that we avoid about ourselves, that we can't possibly have these conversations with others. That's why they don't really exist. That's, that's That's the truth of it. That's why these conversations don't exist in our reality because they're too difficult to have because of the judgment that's layered within everything we do when it comes to our sexuality. So now it becomes, let me operate from old wounding. Cool. So an example of that is, I want to make sure you like me. So I'm going to do the thing that I think you want me to do so that you will like me. So in a sexual sense, that is, I'm going to be the sexual pleaser. I'm going to make sure that you're fully pleased and, you know, you have an orgasm and you're in pleasure, and I'm going to sacrifice my pleasure. Like I wonder how long that can last for, right? <laughs> I wonder how real that is. And I have I can't tell you how many women will come to me and say, I just want my man to orgasm or ejaculate. I just, want my, I just want my man to quote unquote finish. I just want him to feel good as well. Because sometimes men will practice semen retention or mm-hmm. there's a bit of an epidemic in our society with men and, and impotency and, and inability because of the numbing through pornography and that, that's yeah. another rabbit hole, but <laughs> all of that. And, and so, and you know what that does to the, to the male psyche, to all, to all mainstream pornography I'm referring to, to, right. to all psyches. But again, that that goal-orientated approach, like pleasure can only exist when we have a completion. That's a masculine energetic, nothing wrong with it. But when that becomes the focus constantly all the time and presence isn't present, we feel disconnected. We feel unsatisfied. We don't feel sexually connected. And so we crave for more and and this is what we do is what I've done. (laughs) We look for it in all the wrong places. In the places that give us the quick fix because it's a heightened peak experience, Mm. right? For me, it was, I would be visiting prostitutes or the massage parlors with sensual and sexual massage there as well, because it was a peak experience. It would satisfy me temporarily. It would fill this emotional void that I didn't know I was filling. It would fill this physical void until the next time, which wasn't that far after, and I needed more of it, and it became a compulsion and an addiction. And I kept feeling more empty and more shame and more guilt. And the way I would alleviate that is with more pleasure. And I would do that with the ways that I knew how, which was adrenaline and food and sex and all the things that we always use.
2: It's <sighs> the dopamine. Our dopamine all of a sudden gets changed. Our level of dopamine, our line gets Correct. heightened, and then it's more and more and more, and we never, we're never satisfied.
3: Well, dopamine's an anticipatory hormone. Mm, and so yeah. we're constantly in the anticipation you know you notice when you you're thinking about like maybe going on a trip or something or even yes um yeah, yeah. you know when you were single you know you're thinking about dating this guy and oh mm-hmm. that's exciting and then you sort of you know the thing happens like you go on the trip or you go on the date and and it could be okay but it's nowhere near as good as the anticipation because right. that's the motivator that's what gets us there right? right um but we get addicted to those cycles as well
2: yeah absolutely i mean oh, so interesting there's so many ways i could go with this i mean and in okay. a long-term relationship, then, when you when you say we we can become get addicted to these cycles, how do we? And if we're if we're thinking about, if we're constantly thinking about the finishing. Because I know, I mean, I grew up. I I think a lot of a lot of us grew up that way. Of that's the end goal is why we have sex. It's not yeah. the connection isn't mm. the first thing that we're we're thinking about. Mm. Although now I know for me it's like that's what I desire more than anything, and it's like okay. If we're, if we now know that about ourselves, if we're desiring more connection out of our sexual experience, how do we begin to start connecting in that way? Like, is there a, is there something that you would recommend as like a buildup to sex or like, how do, how do we start that, that deeper connection so that it's not just about, you know, five minutes of pleasure?
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've got to make presence the priority, right? Mm. Presence with each other. And so if I go back to what I said a moment, a few moments ago around, exploring our own sexual fantasies and own sexual desires within ourselves first and being very active. That's a great starting point. Then in intimate long-term relationship, we're looking at communication Mm -hmm. or creating safe spaces for each other. Firstly, communication. So safe spaces, again, just to clarify, is is an environment in a space of Mm non-judgment. Can you actively choose to not judge your partner? So if your partner says to you, hey, I really love you, and I actually really enjoy having sex with you. And, you know, we've been together twenty years, and I feel like I'd like to be with someone else. How do you feel about that? Can we not necessarily take that personally? Can we pause, and can we not be judgmental? You know, we don't have to say we don't have to say yes to that just because our partner says it, right? But can we put this is the work? Right? But can we pause, and can we feel into what's happening for us and what's happening for them? I use that as an example. It's not an extreme example. It's a bigger example. But I promise you, if there was less judgment in our society, how often would that conversation take place? I would say more often than it isn't now. Mm. Right? But we can we can settle that. Let me, yeah, let me for Yeah, For sure, to, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So so there's 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 the communication piece. Now we can use tools such as imago dialogue and nonviolent communication, a very simple, powerful tools for communicating and practicing that. The Gottman Institute is an amazing resource for longer term relationships. Um, and we can use these tools to start communicating with each other, right? And then we have to allocate the time. We have to make the space for each other. That can be date nights. That can be at the end of every day sitting with each other and sharing what transpired in the day for you. What were some of your prominent thoughts? What were something that happened that maybe you weren't too happy about? Can you share that with me? What does that look like for you? How can I support you? you know, my wife and I have Every month, I mean, we we connect on a daily basis. we we very blessed. We both work from home. So we spend time with each other, of course. But every month we sit with each other and we we give an overview of what the month was. Like. And we have a series of questions that we ask each other and connected, and connected practices as well that help us connect to ourselves physically, emotionally, mm-hmm. and intellectually. And we do that check-in every month. And then we have weekly check-ins as well, but we, we make the time and the space for. It. Otherwise, honestly, it won't get done. Like I'm a human being. I'm a man on a mission in this life. And I've known that since I was a little kid. I was six, mm. seven years old. And I wanted to be United Nations Secretary General. I love and
4: that. And again. <laughs>
3: That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. And it came from pain, my own pain. Like I thought right. oh, I, I would watch National Geographic and I'd watch TV with my grandparents. And, you know, TV for me was a re- actually just a side note, was a really big, um, it was a saviour. Watching movies and it was an escape, you know, to escape yeah. from my reality. and It was really beautiful for me, and I loved that. Um, and I, I'm a movie buff today because of that. And I've got to be careful; <laughs> it doesn't become an addiction too. Like I can like right. numb out on it. Right, right, right. But you know, it, it's it's making that time with each other, um, and 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 like I said, I'm, I'm a man on a, on on a big mission in this life. And so if I don't make the time to be with my my wife and my family. Um, it won't happen because it will, it will, my time gets filled up very, very quickly with other things that are e- not equally as important, but deeply important to me as well. So we have right. to make the time. So safe spaces, non-judgmental safe spaces. I want to really simplify for the audience, right? Practice effective communication. Make that a priority, and create space to be with each other before you're going to even. It's like. Before we can even run, we have to learn how to balance on our bellies, right? There are so many stages and steps that need to happen before we get to that end thing. And if the end thing here is being open in our communication around sexuality, we've got to learn how to communicate effectively, be non-judgmental with each other and be in a routine and a habit, an established habit of spending intimate time with each other. Then the more risque conversations around sexuality can take place. We can't just go from, Oh, we've been together for ten years and three kids and you know, we work twelve hours a day each and maybe we get a little time on the weekend together and now we're gonna have a conversation around our sexuality and right. and our sexual fantasies and <laughs> we've got it baby just steps. doesn't
2: happen that way. Yeah, no, <laughs> no. I mean I have look, I, I have a whole routine of taking care of myself and I schedule everything into my life and I schedule my work. And, um, yep. I remember one day when I realized like I have to schedule Eddie and I have to schedule in time for one another, like this just has to happen. And it might not yep. like sound sexy at all, I get but it. if it's there, I'm like, Ooh, I, that's something. Number one, I look forward to it. And number two, like it's, it's there or else we will get sidetracked on a gazillion other things. And I I think that is super key because you, you have to have to create that. Um, Yeah, no, I I so look forward to reading your book on all this because it's, it's definitely, you know, something that I know my own ideas of Mm. sexuality and, and sex and what I want from my life and how I want to connect is shifting. There's such an old view. And I think Mm. I know I'm not the only one. I think it's shifting in our our society and throughout the world and how we view that connection. I one thing I know you talk about a lot is sacred connection. I just would love for you to to maybe define that a little bit. What is that? And that is something Steph is gonna answer right after this brief break.
4: Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com.
2: Welcome back, my friends. Steph was just about to break
3: down his definition of a sacred romantic connection. Let me actually just, I'm going to just intuitively follow that thread for a moment with respect to sacred connection. And so, because there are many different ways that I can elaborate on it and I'm sure others would as well. Um, But let let me speak to grief. You know, this is, grief is so sacred, Mm -hmm. man. It's so so important. Like we, when we talk about the father wound, we need to grieve the father we never had. Mm -hmm. We need to grieve the safety we never experienced. We can't experience open, vulnerable sacredness and connection without, Releasing our grief that takes up so much psychic and emotional and spiritual and sexual space in our being, mm. like we have to grieve to be able to have open, intimate communion with others. Like grief for me is is, and I, I go deep into grief into into this book as well. Oh yeah, um, because it's such an important part of sacred sexuality and sacred intimacy.
2: Mm, hmm. Uh, yeah. W- okay. So I'll go down this path with you for a moment because uh, grief is really interesting. I actually, yeah. this morning before we got on here, I could feel so much sadness and grief in my body. I went upstairs and I yeah. started to move and make sound and just like bawl my mm-hmm. eyes out. And it's so interesting because there's grief has come up a lot of times with me during sex. I mm. will start crying and expressing that. And then, and <laughs> well, I've had to explain it to my husband sometimes of like, this is... There's such a, um, a, so vulnerable. It's such a vulnerable Mm. time. I was actually just talking about how being on stage is like having sex for me sometimes because Mm. I'm so open that it becomes this whole experience. And with that can come this deeply embedded grief that I have yet touched upon. And I agree with you. I think that's such a beautiful piece um, that, can come out when we are that vulnerable and sex is one Mm -hmm. of those places where when you are that open, um, that grief can, can show itself. And I'm, I'm, I just love that you brought that up because I've literally been in it (laughs) all morning in a beautiful way of like, okay, so this is here. I'm going to allow it to come up. And that's a Mm -hmm. conversation I've actually had to have with Eddie through my experience with him because, it's it does show itself often, and there is a lot of grief around what I and and I'm sure a lot of people mm. did not experience in childhood.
3: Yeah. So, firstly, thank you for sharing that. That's that's really deep, and you're not alone in that. Um, you know, my wife and I have experienced I've experienced that in previous relationships. We have experienced that in previous relationships. I mean, we meaning me, my previous partners, and my wife and I as well. And I, I want to speak to that. It's a really important thing, and this is. I want to commend both you and Eddie, because for you to be able to actually, for your body to be able to have that release Mm. in such a vulnerable state of expression, it means that your nervous system feels safe enough in his presence Mm. to have that release. I get that sometimes you have to explain certain things because it can be very confronting for all parties involved. (laughs) But the fact that you can do that, that your body would naturally allow itself to go there not repress that and hold back, that is a testament to the dynamic of your relationship as well. Mm. There's a depth there that you've reached, whether you intellectually or you know cognitively understand and know that. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm hope hopefully what I'm, I'm I'm my intention here is to bring more light to that. Because if you can recognize that, I see life as a video game. You won't be able to progress to the next level unless the algorithm of the video game has recognized that you've done all the things like you've killed the big bad person and you've accumulated all the weapons (laughs) and you've done all the things to progress to the next level. Right. If you acknowledge that you actually have reached a depth that was unknown previously to you, it opens up the door for more depth, Mm. which can equally be as scary but also equally as beautiful and exciting. And so I just really commend you for A, being honest, B, having that relationship where you can share in that way with your, with your partner. That's very aspirational and inspirational for many. And it's very possible for all of us. I want to be super clear on that. It's not like this, this, oh, you have to be elite to reach that point. No, you just need to do your inner work and be willing to get uncomfortable and be willing to be real with yourself as a starting point. what that opens up in your life is tremendous.
2: Yeah, it is. I love that you just went there. I totally didn't expect that at all. Um but I think for me, I mean, there's there there lies the sacred, you know, that that yep. is the That's right. it, where all is welcome, you know, and I think that is yep. I think for me, I know with my relationship with my husband, um it's the first space where I've Felt that all of me is welcome, and he sees he sees things or has seen things in the past and known things about me that I have been unwilling to look at. I didn't know about myself, mm-hmm. and I would express something to him, and he's like, "Well, yeah, of course, like <laughs> he's seen it all along, <laughs> but it's just like a new epiphany to me." So, um, yeah. yeah, I think that that is such a key piece, and I, I like I said, I look forward to reading your book. I would love to have you back on to discuss all things book when you're. When you are, uh, when it comes out. Yeah. Cause there's so yeah. many more places I could go with you. Um, yeah, I, I, I constantly ask my, um, my guests about music, of course, because it's my, <laughs> it's my deep love and passion. And I, um, uh, I would love to know what your holy five are. These can be five songs from your whole <laughs> life that you love or like five yeah. songs you're really into right now. And so just share away. <laughs>
3: Okay, whenever anyone asks me about, give me a top three or top one or top five, like I'm always going to do, top five I'm going to give you seven or something. Anyway, I'm going to do my best to just do five and I'm going to caveat and say, here's a few bonuses.
2: Okay, no worries. No worries.
3: So here's the thing, here's the thing. I love orchestral music. Oh, cool. And I love uh, movies, as I mentioned earlier. It's very dear to me for so many reasons, right? Mm -hmm. It was a saviour at some level. And so there's certain music associated with certain motion pictures that touch me, touch the spectrum of my humanity in such deep ways mm-hmm. that I can't even, I can't verbalize. I just can't. And so I, I, wa- I want to share some of that with you, right? Yes, please. And, and I'm sure you'll be familiar with most, if not all of them, at okay. least most of them. So in no particular order, have you seen the movie Cloud Atlas? No, I have not. Okay. It's, Halle Berry, Tom Hanks. Okay. The the, the end title from Tom T- Tickwer or Tykwer, Tom Tykwer, he's a comp- uh-huh. I think he's a composer. It's about seven and a half minutes. It is stunning. Oh,
2: wow. I have to go watch.
3: It just brings up something in me that is, I I just can't explain it. And without the words, my imagination just goes even more wild.
2: Yeah. I was just talking about this the other day with someone about how art is we're constantly projecting upon art, yeah. like our own our own yep. imagination. And someone asked me about my new album, like thinking because it was called God's Work that it was this Christian record. And I, mm. I go, sure, it is, if that's what you want it to be. <laughs> yep. Art is so subjective in that way, and we're always projecting, which I love. And yes, yeah. and when there are no words and it's just full-on triggering your own emotional experience, mm. it's so cool. I love that.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, have you seen... It's an older one, Bicentennial Man. Yes, it's been a while though.
2: Yeah. It's been a while. Yeah, Yeah. Robin Williams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love him.
3: The Gift of Mortality. Uh Uh-huh. That's the song. And I look at the movie and I look what it's about. And it's about, it's asking the question, what does it mean to be human? Mm -hmm. And this man's journey, who's a robot, who develops consciousness or taps into consciousness and then goes on this journey to be human so that he can be with the love of his life. And he wants to be recognized, validation by the world council that he's human, even though he wasn't quote unquote born or created as human beautiful story yeah, yeah yeah I remember that now it is beautiful because y- you know you're a musician and you I I don't have to assume I know you have an amazing ear and you would sense layers of music and sound far different and deeper than I I would love you know if you just put a, a set of, uh, of you know noise cancelling headphones on and and sat in some darkness and just listened to it without even watching the movies yeah um, I'm wondering what would come up for you Oh, I'm sure so much.
2: I mean, music for me, like, that's hmm. why I, if I want to go cry, I just know I, I need to go put on a, something that, something that has yep. a certain tone or feeling to it that it's just
3: instant. So I totally. Yep. 100%. Um, have you seen Dragonheart? Nope, I haven't. Sean, Sean Connery, older one again, Sean Connery. Um, I think it's in the nineties. Uh, okay. Sean Connery plays a dragon and the song is To The Stars, Randy Elderman. Oh, pretty! And it's man. I, I, I just talking about this. I can feel tears <laughs> coming in because it, it, this. I was very close with my grandparents, particularly very close with my mm. grandfather, my maternal my maternal grandfather, and we would watch movies together a lot. And um, this is one of the ones that we watched. And this dragon gives up his life. For a human that he develops a friendship with That was trying to kill him mm. And the story is simple But there's so much depth and layers to it And mm. he begins to represent the epitome Of what is what, what humanity could be Yet he's an animal He's a, he's a quote-unquote beast, right? Right It's a it, beautiful story Yeah, you just um, made me cry. <laughs> so
2: sweet.
3: <laughs> um, are you familiar with Paul Cardell? I'm not.
2: I love that you're introducing oh. me to all these new people and movies.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, th- this is actually, this one isn't from a movie, but um, Paul Cardell is an amazing, amazing musician. I mean, he doesn't sing. He um, he just composes music. Right. Um, and there's two songs there, if I can group them. Yeah, one. There's Gracie's Theme. A new life, and both are extraordinary, just extraordinary. Cool. Um, and I've got, I've got a couple more. I think that's more than five. But if you don't mind, go, go more. for it. <laughs> um, Riddles of Steel, Riders of Doom. By Basil um, Polidurus. That's a great title. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, this one's from Conan the Barbarian. Okay. Yeah. So this is Arnold Schwarzenegger, old movie. Yeah. And this is about warrior essence, warrior king essence. Very powerful. I like it. Very powerful. Then there's the, um, I'm sure you've seen Forrest Gump. Oh, yes. Yes. Yes.
2: Yes. Yeah. The music, so the just, theme. just the themes. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. 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 Oh, that breaks my heart in the best of yeah. ways. Yes. Yeah. That movie, that's probably one of my favorite movies, like top five of all times. Yeah, so good.
3: Yeah, it's it's brilliant, and there are so many other movies that I could you know, like. Hans Zimmer is just hands mm-hmm. down phenomenal. I mean, there's no pun this, intended. The, <laughs> hands yeah, down. yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, there's the um, uh, Last Samurai, Inception. I mean, mm-hmm. there, there are so many other motion pictures that have really moved me philosophically and emotionally, um, and Hans Zimmer has been a part of that. I mean, Hans Zimmer is brilliant. He really, he really yeah. is.
2: I love this. You took me down a whole nother path of like orchestral and moves you from that space. Um, It's interesting. I've been, I was mentioning earlier that I went upstairs and just made sound. um, You know, for someone who's been singing my whole life, like actually like voicing sound is Mm. new to me. And I've been, I'll sit with myself and sing. I'll start making melodies without words and Mm. just noises. And it's Mm. been so freeing because I feel like sometimes words, like I feel like they complicate things and they also kind of cut (laughs) things off. They can box things in to where you, like sometimes I feel like I have expression, but the words can't hold it. And Mm. I, I love that when you, when you think of orchestral music and like you said, the way that you can project your own imagery and emotion upon what's there, it's so beautiful. So thank you so much for sharing that because I totally understand where you're coming from.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you as a musician really get this. It's so crucial. Breath, sound and movement, right? You mentioned, you know, you went upstairs earlier and you moved and you sounded and there's sometimes deliberate breathing, but there's obviously definitely breathing, uh, yeah. unintentional, but it's there either way. <laughs> but deliberate breath, sound, and movement is the is the foundation, the practice of somatic healing. And we don't need to understand what's yeah. happening. But if you give yourself that, that's the release. That's the healing. We don't, we're so cognitive that we try and understand everything and we think that we will heal when we understand. Understanding is important, but it's often an after effect. Mm-hmm. It has to be in the body first. So you going and sounding and breathing and moving from my perspective you're doing the thing you're you're healing yourself at deep levels
2: thank you that's a new thing for me because I've you know like everybody like you're saying I think that if I understand it then I can you know I can I can work it out and it's like <laughs> no I, I I know it's so easy for me to go into story and the new thing yeah. for me is like okay no story what does this feel like? How can I express it? And so yeah, thank you so much for, for sure. sharing that. Awesome. Sure. Thank you Absolutely. so much. Congratulations on your new family, your new baby. You. Yes. And um congrats on your new book. I look forward to reading it. And I just really appreciate you joining us today. Likewise. Thank you so much. Yay. Thank
3: you. That was
2: awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. And that, my friends, ends this marathon length holy human episode. I could have talked to him all day long and I look forward to reconnecting with Stephanos in the future. So please leave any suggestions or thoughts you'd like to share wherever you're listening now and share with anyone in your life you think would benefit from this episode. We truly do love hearing from you. And on our next Holy Human, you'll join me for an illuminating discussion with bestselling author Gabby Bernstein. self-described spirit junkie and an undeniably authentic inspirational human being i really took so much away from our conversation it was incredibly vulnerable so i hope like i mean what's not on this podcast so (laughs) i hope you will join us for another vulnerable conversation here on holy human so until next time please take care of yourself take care of one another and i look forward to seeing you soon i love you Holy Human with me, Leanne Rhimes, is a production of iHeartRadio. You'll find Holy Human with Leanne Rhimes on the iHeart app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get the podcasts that matter most to you.
5: Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat. Burn at GetSmartburn.com. The lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartburn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with smart metabolic burn from Brain MD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.
6: Hey there, parents and teachers. Are you tired of feeling like every day is a battle of wills with your kids? Let me tell you about something that changed the game: love and logic.